calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, movie fans. It is I, your FDO, Scott Sigler. A quick, exciting, and downright tasty note before we begin Story Smack. We have an advertiser this week. The advertiser is Heartbeat Hot Sauce. I'll tell you about my favorite sauces of theirs about halfway through this Story Smack. But write this down. If you dig hot sauce like I dig hot sauce, visit heartbeathotsauce.com and use the code SIGLER to save 20%. That's heartbeathotsauce.com. The code S-I-G-L-E-R. Save 20%. But beware the scorpion! Let's get on with Story Smack. Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 71 of Story Smack. Story Smack is a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist. And after Story Smack, we're all going to Applebee's. And back with us today, lucky us, is Empty Set movie maven Rob Otto. He's also the man... Oh, my God. He's the manager of the Detroit branch of the Continental Hotel. Hey, Robbie, how are you? Uh, I'd just like to remind you uh, of the rules. Um, (laughs) There's really only one rule, and that is gold coins. Apparently, are a one-for-one exchange for everything in the world. That's, there is no that's what the rule is. Small no glass of water, rate. one gold coin. No. One gold no coin. Room weaponry, fix, one gold coin. Want to fix the car I just smashed? One gold coin. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> hey, um, I today am drinking a vodka soda. What are you drinking, Rob? Uh, Rob, I believe, is gin, if I remember correctly. Mm. That is correct, and... I believe you are bourbon. That is correct, sir. Cheers. You know, let me pick this one up as a professional courtesy. (laughs) One gold coin. (laughs) One gold coin. (laughs) I love you nerds so much, I can't even tell you. (laughs) So good. So. Uh, this, as you know, is Story Smack, where we talk about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. We are discussing this week the 2017 release John Wick 2. Earlier in uh, Story Smack's history, we recorded John uh, uh, Story Smack about John Wick, the original. Unfortunately, we didn't have Robbie as a co-host then. But if you want to check that out, you can go back. I think it's episode 10, maybe. Um, but therefore, we're going to uh, look at John Wick 2, because in the coming years, we're going to have John Wick 3 and 4. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you want to give us the I will. movie guy uh, synopsis? I will do that. The reason we're doing John Wick 2 is I had not realized John Wick 2 was supposed to be out May 27th of this year. John Wick 4. John Wick 4. John Wick 4, John Wick 4 is supposed to be out. So I thought we'd do John Wick 2, get ramped up for John Wick 4, and only found out today it's been pushed out for a year and people have known about it for a long time. I was like, right over my head. <laughs> Missed it. Here's the movie guy voice. 
Retired super assassin John Wick's plans to resume a quiet civilian life are cut short when Italian gangster Santino D'Antonio shows up on his doorstep with a gold marker, compelling him to repay past favors. Ordered by Winston, the kingpin of the secret assassin society, the Continental, to respect the organization's ancient code, Wick reluctantly accepts the assignment to travel to Rome and take out D'Antonio's sister, the ruleless capo, atop the Italian Camorra crime syndicate. There we go. That's, uh, that's it. Oh, John Dyer. No, yep, go ahead, babe. Uh, oh, oh, you know what? Let's get on to. We always like to get the financials. Did yeah, this movie this make is, any money? Did this? Did this no, little, I'm little I casual, casual joint. So this we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about this franchise in general and how it's sort of the perfect moment and why it's the perfect moment for the last sort of five years. But yes, uh, John Wick Two cost forty million dollars to make in 2017. Mm-hmm. 2017 uh, dollars are reasonably similar to today. It cost about the same thing to make today. That's actually for the amount of effects and and work in this movie. That's actually sort of a low budget for this or mid range budget for this yeah, movie. They could have, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, there's little things like they filmed all of the actual street chases, the cars moving through streets in in Montreal mm-hmm. because New York City did not want to. St- shut down Times Square, except for that final scene. So that costs a lot less money. So that's a really, really good thing. It went on to to make 171, no, right? $171 million. Okay. Uh, I did that wrong here. It's $171 million. (laughs) It's not $171 billion. It's $171 million, um, which is no holds barred. No matter how you cut it, it's a huge, huge win. It's also more money than the original made. And this is an interesting thing about this series because so far they all make more money than the one That's that came before rare. them. And it's very, very, very rare. rare. So it's wonderful. I like that uh, New York was like, no, we want to look out for the safety of our citizens. <laughs> and Montreal are like, fuck them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, you have to say. You also have to say it in the French accent. <laughs> fuck them, eh? Hey. Fuck them, eh? Whatever you want. Ah. All right. Let's go for our general thoughts on the movie. These are our high-level overview. Uh, Rob, go first. I think this is better than the original. Um, I wow. think the plot is better. I think the the reason for the movie existing. I, I never liked that the 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 kid killed the dog and stole the car, and that's why John Wick came back. I've never been fond of the premise of the first one because the kid had guys around him to stop him from doing stupid shit like that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it ever would have happened. And so, grew up in that family. He, he would have yeah. known. Yeah. Agreed. Exactly right. Exa- exactly right. That's what I'm talking okay. about. Even though he was a total screw up. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Now, this is because John Wick came back in the first one. All the markers he left out there that people were going to let him get away with because he'd gotten out. Well, if he's back in, this son bitch owes me something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's clever. That's smart. And I think the way they pieced this one together was was right Excellent. on point. The action's better, the fight scenes are better, mm-hmm. the death toll is higher. It's it's a it's an enjoyable film. Maybe <laughs> Absolutely. I don't disagree with anything you said. I love John, the John Wick um, franchise in general because I really appreciate the idea that this is a set piece that sort of is a these are like big picture design mode. I don't know how to say this. They're sort of set piece moments where they're showing you a little bit of a picture of how things are. And I think that we see that a lot in big um, 
big futuristic or fantasy like Lord of the Rings. You see that same set piece thing. This is sort of our real world. Mm -hmm. It's not, obviously, but it's sort of. So I love that. There is one theory that says that everything that happens in John Wick is happening inside a video game. And I feel like that's the perfect description. This is beautiful because they can be superhuman, but only a tiny bit and Mm -hmm. and get the work done. The other thing I love, love, love about John Wick 2 that John Wick 1 didn't have is the hero Every hero gets complicated. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to choose what's right for them right now instead of what's right or what's real or what's true. And I think that's really good. I have two high-level thoughts in this movie. Rob, I will disagree with you respectfully. I thought there was so much more fighting in this one that the amount of time they had to spend fighting, they had to let a few things go that weren't quite as smooth, as fast as in the original. And the other, th- my other thought is I have, a, I have a theory about this movie, too. I believe that this movie actually was Wolverine. And Cannery is supposed to be Wolverine because clearly anybody who gets hit by a car and does all that damage and kills all those people, that's friggin' Wolverine. He looked like Wolverine in the face. That's why he could survive getting shots all the time and run over with cars and hit with things. That's, that's my theory. A, yeah, that's a great that's idea. My theory. There's a, the, yeah, so we're, let's talk a little bit about that Listen, a little bit later. Bob, because... He's the best at what he does, okay? <laughs> and what he does is not very nice. Not very nice at all. And oh. there are some, there are so many things that worked so, so well physically or, um, yeah. practically in this movie mm-hmm. and that's one that is so incredibly not cool because a human yeah. actually got hit by that car and it's so fake anyway Tracy <laughs> Shane points really out in the chat room uh, because of John Wick he appreciates the double tap more uh, interesting variations on the Mo- the Mozambique technique which is two to the chest one to the head John Wick is a big fan of one of the chest one of the head cuts down on time and when you're killing what 87 people you gotta in the movie? save ammo you gotta save ammo, gotta well, save ammo. That, that was a oh well, we're going to get to that. Two wonderful things about this yeah. movie is this is the franchise that saved us from nonstop shaky cam and people actually Thank choreographing you. fights, putting Thank in the time you. to do it correctly. And this is also one of the very few action movies that pays attention to ammo count. He mm-hmm. has to trade guns and put in new ammo mags all, all the time. It's, it's pretty And we're going to get into it. There's a, a specific reason for this that has to do with the guy mm-hmm. who directs oh, okay. it. Yep, okay. There's let's, a good reason Let's for this. talk about the cast crew then. Rob, let's talk about screenwriter Derek Kolstad. As I understand it, not a big name until this... Uh, until this franchise came out. And it's funny because he basically came up with this whole world inside his head, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's he's the guy. He has sole writing credit on Mm -hmm. first and second John Wicks, right? He named the character after his grandfather. Um, And so the 14 and 17 movies were all him. He sold it. It was originally called Scorn. That was the name of the movie. I like it. Thank God it was Keanu Reeves Mm -hmm. who said, listen, Everybody knows this is John Wick. We should just call the movie John Wick. And he was absolutely freaking right. There was there was no doubt about this. Mm-hmm. But um, he he came up with all of this and it's all in his head. And he kind of put the whole world together. And so like all these movies are birthed from Derek Kolstad, even like the okay. video game. He's working with the video game people so that it's the world feels like it's all one so big cool. world. So and, cool. and the reality that he has created in this world, it makes sense within this world. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of stuff that we really haven't seen. I mean, you see like Sanctuary in other movies where you can't hurt the other guy in a church or something Highlander, like that. But yeah. he took mm-hmm. it to a professional level and that whole idea of professional courtesy. Mm-hmm. That's the centerpiece of this movie. Yeah, we're all assassins and really bad people, but we still have some rules that, well, we follow some of the time. But <laughs> um, and but when you don't, there's ramifications to those rules. Yep. And it was all Colstad that put all this together. And I think 
I just think it's it's brilliant. And again, that line, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. A lot of it has to do with the way that that Keanu Reeves says his lines. Absolutely, but there's yeah. just some lines in this movie. You're just like, boy, Colstead, just hit that he, right on the freaking nose. That yeah. is a great line. Seems like so, a guy weaned on the tit of action movies his whole life. Yeah. Well, when, and also he, at the time that he writes John Wick, he is a video game writer, mm-hmm, creator. So mm-hmm. he's he's the. He, and he's writing first-person shooters, so this is a thing that, that he's sort of familiar yep. with in this yep. mentality. Yeah. I will say there is a piece of information uh, from an interview with him, with Derek Holstad, that says the story is very loosely inspired by an incident in Texas involving former Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell, who wrote Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. which is a book about his fire team's ordeal do- during the Operation Red Wings in Afghanistan in 2005. Okay. Luttrell was given a yellow Labrador puppy who he chose to name Daisy after mm-hmm. the members of his fire team. So you had asked earlier, like, is this any of this? Where did this come from that he that he wrote the entire thing and gets the only credit? Right. And that's the only that's the jumping off point. What I love so much about that is there's so many stories that you write mm-hmm. that literally start with the tiniest little, thing. little tiny things. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about one that is a big similarity to John Wick because okay. of Derek's screenwriting that you did in Nocturnal, too. But we'll talk about that All in right. a little bit. All right. Yeah. And then the director is... Chad Stileski, and he started out as a stuntman. And it's really, you know, no surprise that you've got, when you look at the product that's put up on the screen and all the all the attention paid to the detail of fight yeah. scenes and cars and blocking is a huge thing that you don't maybe don't notice the first time you watch this movie, but people move to a certain area. They are accounted for in the movie as John Wick passes through. There's a lot of foreshadowing about where bodies are. Mm-hmm. So most of the time when people jump out of nowhere, they're not actually coming. I know you've already seen them moving towards the danger. That's the kind of stuff that a, a stuntman, but he made his he made his jump into directing after more than 50 screen credits for his stunt work. Uh, he was a friend of Brandon Lee at the in, oh, how's that? Inosanto Academy of Martial Inosanto, Arts. Yeah. Lee, of course, tragedy died from gunshot wound after accidentally after an accidental shooting on the set of The Crow. And that's Af- in 1993. 1993. This guy goes way, yeah. way back. Yeah. Way back. After Lee's death, Alex, uh, director Alex Porras decided to complete the film. At the time of Lee's death, on only eight days were left for completion of the film. Majority of the film had already been completed with Lee. Only a few scenes remained to be done to complete the film. The story is rewritten, and Stileski served as a double, while special effects were used to give him Lee's face in 93. And I love that so much it's because incredible. part of the reason yeah. that, that he probably did so well with that is uh, he knew Brandon Lee. He knew and went to school with Brandon Lee. They were friends first, and mm-hmm. I think he was able to maybe get the physicality, too. And and what talk about, it's, it's hard to have more of an action movie pedigree than uh, Bruce Lee's son, who was successful in his own right, and he dies filming an action movie, and then this Stileski steps in and fills the guy's shoes just to finish off the action movie and eventually winds up doing uh, John Wick. Within a and few... to A's point, the yeah. idea of being friends first and how that turned into wanting to work together, Stahelski was one of the stunt guys mm-hmm. on the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he wow. did some okay. body double for Keanu Reeves in mm-hmm. the Matrix movie. So that's how they got to know each other. And as we talked about when we did Bill and Ted's Big Adventure, this guy makes friends. And I swear this guy makes friends for life. Every time mm-hmm. we talk about Keanu Reeves, I love <laughs> Keanu reads more and this guy had never directed a movie but when Keanu got on board he said this is the guy you should get and boom Yep. You know, a few movies later, they're they're making these ginormous blockbusters. And yeah. to your um, to your point, you want to get grass growing? Uh, maybe yeah. If that's if that's bam, just in case. Um, to your point, also, uh, I love that when Derek Kolstad meets Keanu Reeves and Keanu Reeves takes over Scorn. 
He, part of the reason that he says, why not John Wick, is, well, it's obviously a John Wick movie, but also John mm-hmm. Wick is his is, is the screenwriter's granddad. And, of course, yeah. America's, or Internet's boyfriend, Keanu Reeves, wants that as part of a sweet <laughs> part of that story. And I love all of Perfect. that. We'll see that more again. All right. And then, of course, none other than the man himself who has uh, dominated so many of the movies of Rob and I's childhood, yeah. Mr. Keanu Reeves. Right? And we're going to go, like I said, uh, The Internet's Boyfriend, we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in that story smack. So I'm not going to go over the history of Keanu Reeves as an actor. I mm-hmm. will say a few things to prepare for this particular role as John Wick and obviously, therefore, in John Wick 2. Ke- and for John Wick 2, Keanu trained for three months, eight hours a day in judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, marksmanship and driving. <laughs> Did he do? Wow, okay. Keanu also mm-hmm. performed more than or about 95% of the film's stunts for John Wick himself. Uh, the only stunts that he didn't do are one, the one in which John Wick gets hit by a car, which is. Like I said, terrible because a human got hit by a car and it still looks terrible. Um, and the one where he falls down the stairs uh, in the subway, I think it's in the subway, with the fight with uh, uh, Cassian, with yep. Common. Yep. Uh, those are the only two things that he didn't do. There are scenes, we'll talk a little bit later, like he's in the car, that beautiful car at the beginning of the, sh- uh, the movie. He's in that car. He's driving that car every time it gets hit, which is insane. Yeah. But he did the work. I wonder... Yeah, I, I wonder how much a percentage of the budget was insurance exactly, on Keanu Reeves. Exactly. Yeah, I, I swear, dude was driving the car. He was yeah. in the fight scenes. Yeah. He was shooting the guns. And is uh, I mean, honestly, you talked about his training. You know, when uh, he goes down his basement and puts the cement down, uh-huh. I bet he did training with the problem <laughs> just totally, to make sure totally. that if anyone was in construction, watched him doing that scene, they're like, "Oh yeah, he totally did that right." He's a guarantee. He did well, that. and he, you know, we have a teeny tiny little, a teeny tiny little filmography at Empty Set. We've shot a few trailers. We uh-huh. shot one trailer with humans that had a little bit of risk in it, like somebody in a coffin and stuff like that, and we had to answer. A gajillion questions about mm-hmm. her weight, her height, her ability to to move a stone coffin, even though the coffin was made out of styrofoam, like all this stuff to get an insurance. If he was in those cars, that's bonkers. I can't even that's imagine yeah. how Crazy. many questions. And yet he did all the work and he got the clearance, you, which is insane. You can just see him on the phone and be like, hello, Bob's concrete. Yeah. <laughs> can I come down and just watch you guys pour concrete, concrete for a while? I want to make no, sure wait. I understand. I don't just want to watch. Could you put me to work for about three weeks for free? Uh, that would be great. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, and then Rob, of course, uh, now we're going to have Rob tell you about one of my favorite actors, Mr. Ian McShane. Ian McShane, I don't know what it is, and, and I feel badly that, like, we haven't really discovered Ian McShane until, like, the second or third chapter of his career because he's been around since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's been a working actor. But just, like, this last 15 he's years so or so of Ian McShane, he is just, he just robs every scene. Every, every scene. time you see yep. his face. And it's it's got that weird grizzle, and yet he still has that little glint in his eye. And doesn't matter if he's doing a period piece or if he's doing something. He just has this presence mm-hmm. and and he he plays winston so so well the head of the you know uh, continental right mm-hmm. he makes all the rules and nobody freaking questions him right he is in charge but this guy started out um you know he started doing acting in 1962 while he was still at the royal academy for dramatic arts right mm-hmm. and he he's this enigmatic guy um and and after john's marker gets called by um santino 
Winston is the one that has to say, John, I'm sorry. You got to do it. You, you never should have taken a marker from that crazy son of a bitch. But there's two rules. No blood inside the Continental. No fighting. No nothing like that. No business is done here. And two, mm-hmm. you put your blood in that marker. That's, you, you know, that you have to repay that marker. If not, Which was such a cool, dead. The marker was such a cool little plot device, too. It was incredible. Absolutely. And this scene that's up on the screen right now in Central Park by the Bethesda Fountain, where they... It, it, this is the, there, there's so much discussion about this in the, the fandom about did Winston betray John Wick no. by doing this? And the answer is no question, absolutely not. And you know this because in this particular scene that we see on the screen right now, Winston does the, the most protective fatherly thing he can for John Wick, and he gives him one hour. He tells him exactly what's going to happen, yep, yep. and he gives him one hour. Mm-hmm. And he's a big papa bear in this, in this world, in this universe. He's, he's ruthless for sure, but he's a papa bear because he, he gives John Wick one hour, mm-hmm. and then he turns around and he tells every assassin who has the ability to call in that $7 million marker— John Wick will kill you if you come. If you come to him, he will kill mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. He will kill everyone who tries to kill and him. And then Winston actually creates <laughs> creates the marker uh, or creates the the contract on Winston because he has to. That's because he rules. has no choice. But he right, does the, the best he can do. He's he tells John Wick, "You have one hour." He tells everybody else when the hour is up. There is a seven million dollar mark on John Wick's head. Yeah. Do not do this. You will get killed. He will kill you. Yeah, and still, I, I, everybody honestly, goes after him. I think the argument has to be: Did John Wick? let Winston down, all right? Totally. I mean, he knows the rules, and mm-hmm. he chose his personal vengeance over the rules that he had promised to stick to. That's Absolutely. And not. anyone is letting anybody down, and it's Winston, John letting Winston down. And Winston even says that to him. You were out. What did you think mm-hmm. would happen if yeah. you came back right. in? You yep. were out. Everybody was willing to forgive you. You mm-hmm. did this. Yeah. DeSantino didn't do this. You did this, and yeah. he—he's like, I guess he did. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and Scotty, you wanted to talk. You wanted to talk about the marker as a plot well, device. The, 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 <laughs> as a as a plot device, the marker. And I wish I had a picture of it here to show for the people uh, watching the live stream. It is such a brilliant device by the writer. It's not just that you gave me your word. There is an actual bloody thumbprint in a physical object that you can carry with you and you can give back to the person to call in your marker and whatever you ask must be done mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful prop they spent a lot they they made a really nice yeah. prop the actual thumbprint knowing there's another thumbprint in a ledger which you don't see till later on mm-hmm. so when you call in your marker that has to get recorded as the marker has been satisfied i i loved it and they they totally knew they were onto something cuz the whole opening credit sequence is nothing but the marker, like mm-hmm. they, yeah. they close do, up views, yeah. And you don't know yeah. what it is when you're watching it, but when it comes in play in the movie, and Keanu Reeves gets bagged on for not being the best actor in the world, but that scene in particular, when he pushes that thing, when he pull, mm-hmm. first pulls the thing out, Keanu Reeves tries to resist. He, he already knows he's screwed. He knows yeah. there's nothing he can do. And John Wick does a beautiful thing there, where he says, "I know you can make me call this in." But please don't make me call this in. Just don't. Just don't. don't. Yeah. Just yeah. Please don't, because this is not going to end well for any of us, including you. And right. DeSantino does that anyway, because, of course, everybody thinks that they are a peer uh, of John Wick, even though they're not a peer of John Wick. Well, that's the classic, the, that's the classic, classic quickest gun in the West. Mm-hmm. If you take down Billy the Kid, now you <clears throat> now are the yep. man. Everybody knows sure. their, their lives are made, Oops. aside from the $7 million. Now, let's talk about— There was one moment. Oh, Hang on, Scott, sure. before you move on to next— um, there's there's a moment when that when when Santino sends out the seven million dollars, which, again, you want to talk clever plot devices. 
I'm hiring you, calling in your marker to kill my sister. And then as soon as you kill my sister, I'm duty bound to kill you. Mm -hmm. So I got you to kill my sister. Now I have to kill you. I mean, it's just like, yeah, that makes sense. But when he first puts out the contract on John Wick, I wish they would have shown more people look at the phone, see that it's John Wick and just say, nope. I mean, because yeah. just about everybody they show eventually goes after John Wick over the course. Yeah. Of that, 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 I would have loved that's to a see great, some people that's a great say, tip. delete, nope, uh-uh, yeah, I'm turning that one too. down. That's I would like to see some It's more. reasons like this. Rob and I have been working on a couple of screenplays on and off over the years. And right. we, we got plans to finally finish them up. But Rob, that's that would have been awesome. At least one guy, one woman, mm-hmm. look at the phone and be just... Just shake the head, nope, and then put the phone away. Like would delete, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Just, yeah, <laughs> or like, it would have taken five seconds, yep. and it would have yeah. been clever. Uh, Tracy Shank in the chat stream uh, is, says about Ian McShane, his voice is really Ian McShane's his presence, voice, yeah. articulating Jonathan when he does that. Yeah, the John, fascinating thing it. about that yeah. is Jonathan is not at all John Wick's name. John has yeah. a, I think it's a, um, is it a Croatian name or something? He's got, it's like a Jurev, I forget, but it's it's a foreign yeah, name. Okay. And so he's never Jonathan unless Winston is talking to him yep. and he never corrects him it's beautiful you know that's a great point does anyone else call him anything no. but Mr. Wick no nope. he's the Winston's the only one that calls him Jonathan couple people call him, couple people call him John Winston's the only one who calls him Jonathan which is not at all oh, that's right a couple yeah. people do call him but, John uh, let's right. let's uh, last thing about Ian McShane if you guys have not watched Deadwood sure. you absolutely Oof. owe it to yourself Ow. to watch Deadwood it may be the single best bit of acting I've ever seen his role is incredible and Deadwood is based uh, his character in Deadwood is based on a true story a, a real human being who lived and worked in, in Deadwood back in the day, who is also like a ruthless, oh my God, is Winston, essentially, a yeah. billion years ago. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on to this this man, Common. Mm-hmm. Common played Cassian. Uh, apparently, he's good looking, based on my wife's response. Mm-hmm. Hi, Tiny. <laughs> well, you can see the resemblance, right? I mean, that's I'm, I'm drinking his gin. <laughs> he is a hitman, bodyguard, and right-hand man of crime lord Gianna D'Antonio, who may, there may have been a love interest there, it's hinted at, but we don't know, leader of the Camorra Crime Syndicate, and old colleague of John Wick. As with many other assassins in the criminal underworld, one-time acquaintance of John. Cassian serves as a major antagonist in John Wick Chapter 2. What I wanted to talk about with Common is, if you guys do not follow the world of rap or hip-hop, this guy is a a titan. He has won Mm -hmm. a Grammy, a Golden Globe, an Emmy, and an Oscar for just his music. And then he comes on and does not just a admirable, excellent job of acting in this movie, in my opinion. His physical combat is, it's great. He does a great job for somebody who doesn't have a history of this. He won an Academy Award for Best Song in a Motion Picture with Glory, recorded with John Legend, a Grammy for Love of My Life, an ode to hip-hop with Erica Badu, mm-hmm. Golden Globe, also for Glory, and an Emmy for the song 13th, Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics. He's been in Wanted, Suicide Squad, and Selma amazingly multi-talented guy. Absolutely. And totally a really, like, a gentleman, it looks like. He got in, he was, when he first was on the rap scene, he was Common Sense, if you remember Common Sense. Uh, Had a little, you know, I think he had a beef... He, he signed with Kanye's al- uh, Kanye's uh, record label, mm-hmm. label. Beef. Uh, I forget with who, but then he got sued because there is a group called Common Sense. Uh, it's an R and B group, 
and he was common sense as a human. I see. And he got sued, and he was like, you know what? That's no problem. He didn't like fight it and say they're. Blah, 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 blah. He was like, cool. I'll be well, common. He, seemed, he I'll just be common. Seemed, he seemed smart enough to be like, okay, yeah. I can't win this. Done. Uh, let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. Yeah. And then he probably just like lifted up, showed everybody his abs, and said, call me whatever the hell you want. If people are going to remember me a hell of a lot longer than they remember you. All he does now for contract <laughs> negotiation, he sends them a 15 second highlight clip of his fights in John Wick 2. And he's like, just give the man whatever the hell he wants. It's fine. It's it. fine. And then, I'm uh, just waiting. For John Wick the musical to hit on Broadway so that he can go EGOT and get that Tony. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And you know set. the director, the stunt, stunt, oh, not, yeah, the director, the Chad's, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head, uh, is a Ste- huge. Stahelski. Mus- Stahelski, thank you, is a huge musicals fan. He loves many, many is that musicals. Right? Isn't that the craziest That's thing? That's wild. He's a, a multi talented uh, stunt, yep, stunt director and a huge fan of musicals. So that could possibly happen. And then we move on to the uh, the other nemesis. <laughs> oh, wait, stay right here. This scene that you're seeing right now on the screen is that moment where he has the knife in his aorta. Yeah. And John Wick does the professional courtesy of not pulling it out <laughs> so that. He dies on his own, quote unquote, dies no, on no, his own he, terms. He, they established this with, with Lawrence Fishburne, who we're going to get to in a minute. And Lawrence Fishburne, when he shows the scars on his neck, says he was cut deep enough to die unless he had direct pressure on the wound. And he had a choice. He could go for his gun and shoot John Wick, who didn't finish him off, yep. and then die doing it, or hold the pressure and let John Wick get away. John does the same thing with Common. So my hope is that we will see Common in John Wick 4 as an ally. It's possible, yeah. yeah. It's, that's a difficult uh, actual injury to recover from, even because they still have to pull that knife out and then you if die. They, if they can but, pull it out in a hospital, though. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's it. If they but, can get him to the hospital, for sure. and then they're able to open and, him and, up, but this pull is it that, out, and yeah. This is that scene where he gives returns the favor that you guys did yes. in the opening moments where Common says it's a professional courtesy that I'm buying you a drink because I had respect for you, but now I will have to kill you. I'll even pay your hospital bill. The, yeah. yeah, the last thing he does is consider it a professional courtesy it and he was, gets off the train. <laughs> and moving on to the other nemesis, Ruby Rose as Ares. Also, hi, Tani. Just saying, Ruby Rose's character Ares is never referred to by name in the, feel, mm-hmm. in the film. Her mm-hmm. name is only reveal, revealed in the credits, although it appears next to a photograph of her earlier in the film, uh, in the Bowery's headquarters. In Greek mythology, a- Ares is the god of war. Okay. Um, uh, the director talks a lot about how he thinks Greek mythology is very influential in a lot of the storytelling we understand today because we've heard it in so many different iterations mm-hmm. since they were created. So he's a big fan of that. Um, Ruby Rose's character was originally going to speak, had a lot of dialogue, in the, well, had enough dialogue in the film until right before the movie began shoot principal photography, Chad Stilinski mm-hmm. made her mute uh, right before filming began. When John Wick kills Ares, he stabs her in the same place he stabbed Cassian. The only difference pulls is he out. pulls out. Yep, he yep. pulls out yep. the yep. knife because... She does not get the professional courtesy. Exactly right. She asshole. does not get asshole. the professional courtesy. Yeah, She and, flipped him off. Who does that? What professional flips off another hitman? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'd rather be flipped off than shot in the head. Uh, I would Here, like to... Let I, me say it on camera so that uh, Ares <clears throat> can understand it. <laughs> there you go. Right. Those of you in the audio, just just know that I made the sign for asshole. And also, yeah. who, what else did she do, Ruby oh, Rose? Yes, she's she was Batwoman. She was Batwoman. Batwoman. She was Batwoman. Batwoman. Um, she was in Origins: The New Black, and she's uh, mm-hmm. she was she's Batwoman. A lot of stuff. She was she was yeah. Batwoman. I think that it, they they probably made her mute because. Clearly, John Wick is a polymath. He speaks every language on the planet fluently. He also s- sign language. He also apparently does really good with concrete. 
You know, he knows well, and, a to, lot about everything. To your to your point, though, it, yeah, he is sort of a polymath or whatever. But it's also an inclusive thing that if he can speak two sentences of Russian, he can speak two sentences of American Sign Language. It's a nice, mm-hmm. cool nod to this is not quite reality, but it is sort of our reality. I feel he's fluent in everything. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This episode of Story Smack is brought to you by Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Visit HeartbeatHotSauce.com and use the promo code SIGLER to save 20% off your entire purchase. So FDO, you ask, what do they have that's worth me hitting up their website and shelling out my hard-earned ducats? Let me tell you about the tongue-spanking deliciousness. I've tried their red habanero. Delicious and not too hot. Their heatonist number four, which is a bit of an angry disciplinarian. Their jalapeno, which isn't hot at all and is damn tasty. And the Marie's children of the bunch, the scorpion. Folks, the scorpion ain't playing around. Heartbeat Hot Sauce is based in Thunder Bay, Ontario, where a bunch of hot sauce loving peeps were whipping up their own stuff only to find out that people want to throw money at their faces for their alchemic concoctions. Their ingredients are locally grown with peppers fermented 45 days before being aged for super mega maximum flavor. They have a versatile flavor assortment. If you like the heat, they got the heat. If you like the milder stuff, they got you covered. And they got a sauce for virtually any food you are eating. Three of their sauces have been featured on the YouTube series Hot Ones. This stuff is really, really good. So swing over to heartbeathotsauce.com and use the promo code SIGLER to save 20%. While the sauces are in some stores, only the code SIGLER will get you that fat 20% discount. And check out their Instagram page at heartbeat underscore hot sauce for the latest recipes and upcoming face melting varieties. Let's get back to the story smack. Uh, I like, I mean, we talked about this when we did Rogue One last uh-huh. time. You know how they made the one character they decided before they started shooting, we're going to make you blind, mm-hmm. right? And and I just like that. The actors go along with it. The re- directors go along with it. Everybody makes it work mm-hmm. because it's a clever idea that we haven't seen before. And it's somewhat inclusive, but it's just cool that everybody's just like, well, why can't she be deaf? It, well, precisely, why not? precisely, and I love that the, that this script doesn't have anybody going like, "The fuck is this chick doing?" Like, well, it's just yeah. like, okay, apparently she's deaf, and we move on because that's how people are, it, you know. Some fran- people are. The franchise made it very convenient. There's there's two big factors. Here. Number one is Ruby um, Ruby Rose had to embrace that and be like, "Wait, I have to do all of my acting without any actual words or dialogue," yep. and she rocked it. She did a great job. Yep. But John Wick also broke the mold. The original John Wick broke the mold mold with the very colorful 
motion graphics subtitles. I've not seen that in a lot of other things where the subtitles come up and they are their own visual engaging graphic element. And once you've established that in John Wick 1, having someone who doesn't speak out loud in John Wick 2 is, of course, no big deal. They can do that, no problem. And they were able to do things with typography and with color to add emphasis. That was one of the really, I don't know if that was in the original script. I never read the original script, but one of the really brilliant things they did was taking the basic subtitle, which we've all seen thousands of times, and doing something completely new with it that added to the overall context of the film it was it was pretty cool and that's a really great point scotty and i never really thought about that before but you're right they Mm -hmm. took the emphasis that the characters were giving to the phrase you know when they say baba yaga Mm -hmm. right and they they made boogeyman look weird and colorful and a different font they added the verbal uh like the audio emphasis was also there in the typeset yeah pretty clever well Mm -hmm. well, i didn't even catch that and that was that was something i worked on for uh, my novel, Infected, when that came out, that was my first book out with Random House. And I ins- I went to the mattresses with Random House to be like the the dialogue of the hatchlings and the triangles, these things that are infecting the main character, that cannot be regular type font. It can't just be italicized. We've got to do something different so it looks monstrous and it looks horrific just to look at it on a page. And they they eventually got where I was coming from. They did a great job on it. I got that from Stephen King's Misery. Uh, you can listen to an audiobook of Misery. That's okay. Only reading the actual text of Misery, what Stephen King does when he's writing the story within a story, he uses typewriter font, brings in the margins, makes it look like a typewritten page, and then gradually, as the, as Paul, the main character, is going through it, in typing this novel, letters start to fall off the typewriter, and they have to be drawn it's an old in. typewriter. They have to be yeah. drawn in with a pencil, and first it's just the letter T, then it's the five most common letters in the English language. So by the time you get to the story within a story, at the end of the novel, the typewritten pages look absolutely insane. They're jarring to even look at. That inspired me so much. That's why I did. In fact, that's why I, I noticed the John Wick stuff. But, Clever. Ro- Robbie, Robbie, let's talk about this this incredible man, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, my goodness. Lawrence Fishburne, it's so crazy. He's the Bowery King, and um, thankfully you get more of him in the third John Wick movie, because he's only in this one for like 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that he is the third Mm -hmm. character in the the list of, you know, the the credits, right? Which I'm sure was in his contract. He had to be, you know, give me Keanu, give me Ian McShane, I better be next, even though I'm barely (laughs) in this movie, right? Um, But yeah, and he's not, I mean, you're an hour and a half in this movie before you even see the Bowery King, before Mm -hmm. you even see, but... um, it's it's really cool because, of course, these two start opposite each other in The Matrix. And Keanu says this line to the Bowery King, so I guess you have a choice, which really kind of feels yeah. like red <laughs> pill or blue pill, right? It does. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Um, and then uh, the Bowery King's office, they just did a great job. And, uh, hey, you brought this up a little bit. I think we can get into this now mm-hmm. while we're talking about him. This great idea of... The continental, everything is crisp and clean and perfect. And the other side of that coin is what the screenwriter saw when he was walking. He was doing like he was scouting locations in New York City for this film while he was writing. And he noticed, unfortunately, homeless people everywhere and that most people just ignored them. Mm -hmm. They were like invisible. And he started thinking, well, 
what better way to run a criminal organization than with a bunch of people that know even the cops don't pay attention to? Right. And so this idea of the Bowery King and he uses he's got homeless people on every corner of the city. Mm-hmm. He gathers so much information. He knows everything mm-hmm. and everything they have in his office, like his office is clean and nice and, and good. Even got though they dress and jacket on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. So it's just cool. And they just keep throwing in these things like like Morpheus glasses. There's yeah. there's a pair of Morpheus glasses I sitting on his desk that. Are you kidding inside yeah. of his oh, office. Man. But it's just you think about it. And of course, John Wick knows this. And you're not sure if any of the other assassins have really paid that much attention. John Wick knows all about the Bowery King. Yeah. And that's what saves him after he's got every other assassin in the city clamoring for him. Yeah. Clever. And uh, Sean, you bring this up. I was I, I mentioned it. I kind of alluded to it earlier. Like we see a similar thing in Nocturnal. It's not quite the same, but it's similar. The, the beauty of the John Wick uh uh, environment is the continental is sort of the one percenters. They mm-hmm. have everything they need by going to the continental. Lawrence Fishburne does the same thing on like a Motel 6 level. You, mm-hmm. and, and that's not me saying that. That is actually the director said a similar thing to that. So I don't want to take credit for that. But he says, like, why wouldn't there be if you can't walk into the Continental's lobby and look like you belong there, but you're still an assassin. There's still I a need it. for you in that hierarchy. You go to the Bowery King because the Bowery King makes sure you're fed. You just look look desperate. You're not desperate mm-hmm. because you're an assassin working Clever. for the, the Bowery King. It's so smart. It's a very similar thing to what Scott saw himself. Uh, saw a similar thing that, that yeah. Chad saw in New York. You saw in San Francisco where people get used to the set design of a street that includes homeless people under blankets and stuff and you start to lose their humanity which yes. means you forget mm-hmm. they exist as a something that could hurt you too. Yes. It's very clever. And, and that, that was a big part of a, a big part of of my novel Nocturnal was uh, playing into the homeless the homeless situation. What happened to my I got to find my John, John Leguizamo. Oh, thanks right babe. There. Now we're going to talk about one of my absolute <laughs> favorite favorite <laughs> actors. This guy is just a beast, a beast on the screen. He plays Arillo, who's the mechanic who runs an illegal chop shop for stolen cars and vehicles. He's a service provider for the Continental and a friend of John Wick. He did not get a lot of screen time in John Wick 2 and was cut out of John Wick 3 completely. He was open about his disappointment not being cast in John Wick 3. But since he has directed a mo- his first movie and had to make painful cuts during editing, he said, quote, as an actor, I don't understand being cut, but as a filmmaker, I do. So I had to make peace with myself. And I feel this is something that A and I can relate to. When I was coming up being a aspiring novelist and then getting into writing books and putting books out and the the arguments and battles I had with Random House and Crown Publishing mm-hmm. I need to do this I need to do this and they're like we can't do that because of X we can't do that because of Y and I, frankly I was a giant asshole I, I was just like <laughs> no this is my art I know how this, I know what people want this is how it should go thanks Rob asshole. this is how it should go and now that A and I are publishers have put out uh, six books uh, uh, I don't know six books in our own soon to be seven soon to be eight there are real world limitations on what you can and can't do in the field of entertainment based on budget, based on things that we never saw coming, like how much 
can we find a cardboard box that will fit the giant books I have Oh, made? for sure, yeah. Will the giant book's spine be too large for a printing press so the spine will crack when you open it? That limits the number of pages you can put in things. And, and mm-hmm. it's all these things. So what John's talking about, and once he became a director and understood the dirty, ugly side of the things you don't see on the screen, he understood a lot better. But the guy's just a fucking, absolutely fucking legend. Yeah, and he did a great job. Like, he was not, he was vocal about the that he he's... He was sad that he wasn't in John Wick 2. He might have been a little bit mad about it, but he was professional about it. He was like, I feel like Aurelio is an important part of that story. He's a grounding. So many people have worked and loved, you know, worked with John Wick and they were colleagues and friendly that he meets at the Continental and they are no longer companions. They are now, uh, you know, at, at odds. That's never the case with Aurelio. And you see that in John Wick 1 when Aurelio is the only one who's like, yeah, no, I'm absolutely punching you in the face and getting you out of my place. <laughs> yeah out of my chop shop because I don't want that kind of heat. And he's the only one who acts like you're supposed to act when you when you cross John Wick. Everybody yeah. else is like, but that's my son. Yeah. And whatever. He like, is one of the only guys <laughs> that really gets it, isn't he? Yeah, right? he risks his <laughs> own life by punching a crime lord's son in the face and knocking him out, a, you know? Because that's he, a great point. And then when, yeah. when they call him and he's like, uh, he killed John Wick's dog. The, the, that scene is like this. Boop! Like, okay. just hangs up the phone. It's great. And the dad says... Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, that, and it's funny, too, because I, I don't know. And, and uh, I don't know. John Leguizamo is just so great. You never know how many of these lines are written or how much because he, he is a he's known, a, you know, improviser while he's sure. on set yeah. because he really gets into his characters. Right. So he's only in this movie, you know, in the first few minutes after John Wick wrecks his car. And he's he's like, well, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And he goes, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but there's a crack in your windshield. Of course, the windshield is just spider webbed all over because he smashed a guy into it. Right. And I don't know if that was written or if that was like Guizamo. But, yeah, exactly. But then like like. Any good mechanic, he's like, uh, but yeah, I could totally fix it. <laughs> I'll have it to you by Thursday. Like, like, two, like, this, 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 two this weeks. these 20 things are wrong. Oh, here you go. Here's your gold coin. And you're all <laughs> set. Okay, gold I can coin. fix it. Uh, he actually, uh, John Leguizamo has talked about um, this particular scene since it's one of, it is the only scene I think he's in in this movie. Yeah. Um, he also wasn't there for the seven cars that got destroyed in the making of the opening sequence. They mm-hmm. were seven, you know, exactly identical cars. They all got destroyed in the making of the opening sequence opening sequence he wasn't there for any of that so the way they wrote the dialogue some of the stuff he says is they talked to all the mechanics and engineers and and stunt drivers about how that scene went mm-hmm. and gave all that to him and let him improv no what he said yeah that's uh, that's yeah. so so good. some of the things are actually like other drivers saying oh my god it whatever <laughs> you know how did you do this to yourself which i love can i let me transition. I want to transition off of that if I can, because sure. that's something that I think Chad Stahelski, the director, did a great job of. Um, he made sure when Leguizamo was talking about the things that were wrong with the car, just like A said, they talked to mechanics. What would have happened if this thing happened with the car, right? Mm-hmm. When you when he goes to the tailor and they're talking about, you know, the, the bulletproof stuff that can happen, how would it work? How is it put together? It'll stop the bullet, but it'll still hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Everything about the guns and the different types of weapons that the sommelier is presenting to John Wick, every if you're a gun nut, everything he said is absolutely spot on. If mm-hmm. you know about bulletproof uh, stuff, everything that the tailor said is spot on. Everything Leguizamo said is spot it was, on. It was it's so perfect. It was so 
I felt such a a kindred spirit with the screenwriter oh, watching this movie 100%. to my book Nocturnal because Nocturnal is, is is very similar in a lot of ways. You've got the homeless as a huge factor because they're invisible to people. Even if you are a caring person who wants to do something, when you're walking by hundreds if not thousands of homeless people every day on your way to work, eventually that becomes as transparent as the brick walls around you. Background noise. There's yep. also the um, uh, Brian, the Terminator in... In Nocturnal has a very similar uh, set of armor that John Wick has. Yeah, it's fabric. It's it's a it's a it's a navy peacoat. There's clothes underneath, and the composite armor is woven in as fabric inside of it. And all of the gun, like I, I did the same thing with Nocturnal. I'm like. Uh, I got to go to people who know guns, people who make guns, people who fired guns in combat or in police duty. What am I using? What's this? Also, okay, out of all the stuff you've used, what's the coolest? Which they clearly did. Like, here's a Kimber 1911. Like, yeah. They, yeah. like they you actually, know, they, they gave gun nuts <clears throat> boners all over the place. True. I agree with everything you guys are both saying. I also think I love there's there's several notes that make it a, make it a movie, not reality. Everything they're saying about the weapons is real. Everything they're saying about the tactical mm-hmm. is real. All of that is true. But the sommelier, his whole talk is about varietals, right? He starts by saying, you know, I know you're familiar with German varietals because in John mm-hmm. Wick 1, John Wick uses German guns. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's like, he's, it's a total throwaway statement. But then he talks very, very precisely and truthfully and tactically about the weapons that he's handing off the entire time. He's wearing a sommelier's cup around his neck. For tasting, a tasting cup around his neck, which mm-hmm. is completely irrelevant, except that he's called mm-hmm. the sommelier. And I love that so much. It's here's so a, insane. Here's a wonderful note that we got from Rob. The most expensive <clears throat> set piece on John Wick Chapter 2 was The Mirror Room, which was an homage to the famous final fight scene between Bruce Lee and Han in Enter the Dragon. On a side note that Rob found interesting, Kevin Reeves, Keanu Reeves, excuse me, noted that the mirror room reminded him of Richard Donner's vision of the Fortress of Solitude in 1978's Superman. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was very cool. So that's actually also an interesting note because, of course, uh, the, our director gets into movie making as a student in uh, Marina Del Rey at the, at the Martial Arts Academy because he's a martial artist and a friend of Brandon Lee in that movie. So okay. it's, it's lovely, like, sort of trailing back to the whole... Uh, uh, Chad's whole aesthetic, I guess. I don't know mm-hmm. how else to say oh, that. Wow. <clears throat> and Rob, we're, we're down to general notes now, but here's another Actually, one. I have one question. Go, baby. Um, there's, a, there's a, like I said, there's a whole internet theory that John Wick exists inside a video game. And I love this idea, but I don't play a ton of video games, so I wanted to talk with you guys about it, who surely have played more than I have. But I love don't this. Don't call I- me Shirley. <laughs> but I love this, and, and I brought it up several times in this cast, and this is why. Oh my goodness. Um, the moment in the beginning opening sequence where John Wick gets hit by a, tra- a taxi cab in the garage mm-hmm. is so incredibly ludicrous. It looks terrible in real time <laughs> but it looks terrible for two two reasons one everything around it has that has been happening is real practical effects with real human beings as is this one that's a, an actual human being who gets hit but but there is no way for a human to get hit like that and get up and continue to be john wick and therefore it feels um 
it feels weird and fake, although they, they were still dedicated to doing that. And I think that is a thing that happens in video games. So that this theory kind of I love. Do you have any? You guys have uh, any? Real quick, anybody who's watching, I just uh, blocked a spammer and may have accidentally blocked someone who's not a spammer. So if all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden you can't chat, I got fired up and blocked someone. Uh, email info to empty set. And we'll fix it. And you think you were blocked, <laughs> I will fix it pronto. Oh, yeah, and, nice. and uh, uh, Lisa Tryon says, yeah, you just had a high ex. This is what I it mean. It was Wolverine. He's, I'm telling you, it was what this is the Wolverine movie we never got because uh, it, the, the role was taken and done so exquisite when they wanted Keanu Reeves for it, so they couldn't quite do it. I mean, fair, but Wolverine has to recover from his injuries. You see him. He does it right like, away. Boom. He, do, he doesn't do it instantly. You see him kind of have to adjust and crack his neck. John Wick limps. He limps a little. Well, okay, does so, it. all right. So, to A's point and the theory's point, like when you're playing a video game, you're almost at like 100% efficiency until the moment you die, right? Yes, so that, that's, that's right. kind that's of right. the point, right? Yeah. And, you know, people can get hit by cars and walk away, but yes, probably a moment before the next two guys come up and he starts kicking and beating them to show that he was feeling some sort of discomfort. But That's the a- other side of that coin is you you do see that I think John Wick, he, he's not Wolverine, but he has like this adrenal boost or something like yeah. when he's in the moment, he can be 100 mm-hmm. percent the whole time and whatever injuries he's got, he can mostly ignore them. Until the moment that the adrenaline runs out, in because some then ways, you see him. He yeah. he does limp. He does crash, and, 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 and he you know he's bloody and he's scratched and 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 he has issues and he has to try and get himself yeah, back. Yeah, for sure. In, in never ways, in the middle of a fight. In some ways, this series is. It's an action series, but if you were writing it as a book, it's almost an urban fantasy setting. There's this entire mythological organization operating within the confines of normal society that the normies don't see. There Mm -hmm. is a huge amount of attention paid to realism. The car, the damage to the car, the Mm -hmm. weapons, how Mm -hmm. people fight. His BJJ, his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is completely on point. The physical throws, and Robbie and I wrestled together in high school. When When he does these throws, these are real throws. They work just like that. And then there's this ability for our lead character to absorb so much damage yeah. that does not match up with the rest of what we are seeing. So there's a little bit of magical urban fantasy element into something that otherwise has got a lot of reality to it. But again, if you call this movie a set piece movie, that works because you've, you've, you've set up that this is a little bit different than reality. Obviously, nobody, not everybody in our reality is as good looking as everybody in John Wick. And everybody in John Wick is good looking for who they are. The, I didn't, I didn't say nobody. Excluded. I said other than John, uh, other than John Wick, Rob, Robbie, and Scott. That's what she said. I heard yeah, it. that I is heard exactly it. it. So I do think that those things are true. I will also. I, I want to dwell on the opening sequence just one more time because there's two things that I really love about it. If you're a Keanu Reeves fan, and I think I mentioned during Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure that back in the day when I worked for Blockbuster, I wrote. Uh, uh, 25-word reviews for every Keanu Reeves movie that was available at the time. The Mm -hmm. last movie I wrote about was Little Buddha, so that's how old it was. But he's pigeon-toed. He's pigeon-toed. He's always pigeon-toed. Every one of his characters are pigeon-toed. You can choose to correct that on purpose, like for a scene if you walk into a room. The opening sequence is this 
destruction of this gorgeous 1969 Mustang. And the first time you see John Wick on screen, you see him walking around a car. And he's pigeon-toed, oh, and you know it's that. him. It's, it's That's gorgeous. Funny. Yeah, it's really fun. But also, um, that opening sequence, he destroys a 1969 Ford Mustang, as we've just discussed. Um, even more astonishing, in every single scene on screen, that's Keanu Reeves behind the wheel, which is, as Everyone. we mentioned early, earlier, absolutely insane. But he did the work to be a certified stunt driver. Obviously, oh that gosh. car is converted with a five-point harness and protective cage and everything on the inside. All seven of those cars were. But still... They almost never let the actor do it because the actor doesn't do the work to become proficient. Somebody has to have done a some kind of documentary on do they I mean, these are all gorgeous, rare cars yeah. in these movies. Do they do they fabricate out outer bodies for these cars? Because I wanna if they killed seven of those, I'm gonna fucking get a Kimber <laughs> they must 1911 have had and to shoot because somebody. Yeah. I think they do, man. Oh I, I think God. they they get they get these cars and even if they're in bad shape, you know, they can replace everything except the outer shell. That outer shell, they're all the 69 Fords. They, mm. they are because, the, you know, you can't make them, you can't, you've got to use American steel because that's what yeah. was used. You can't use fiberglass because you'll be able to tell when, when it hits. smash mm-hmm. the shit yep, out of these. That's a mm-hmm. good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Rob and, also, Rob and I are from Michigan and... That's that's it's sacrilege. And there's it's also uh, an aftermarket, uh, especially after the Chevy Museum had a had a, um, a sinkhole beneath it, mm-hmm. and some of the really priceless, beautiful Chevys got just mm-hmm. decimated. They just put a velvet rope around like the uh, Bugatti that's there, that's just smashed destroyed, to pieces, just leave it, leave and it. with a big piece of concrete <laughs> from the ceiling, you know, right there that had it had destroyed. It's it. even better. And it's now, even better. Listen, but there's also a place I, in Vegas, a, a show cars place in Vegas, where you can certainly see like kit. And you can see um, the Ghostbusters, oh my God, all that. but you go. can also see go. wrecked cars uh, from yeah, movies, people, which is really cool. People who collect movie memorabilia, they want to be able to prove this is the exact one that was in that scene. Here's mm-hmm. the screen grab. Here's mine. Look, this scratch and this dent wow. are wow, exactly wow, wow. where they were on the screen. They will pay primo dollars. So I wouldn't be surprised if all seven of these damn cars, if you can pick out a scene in the movie that's definitely that car, somebody it's, paid them a huge sum for these it's cars. Incredible. I wouldn't be uh, surprised. We have a uh, Transfish in the chat room who points out one story about Keanu Reeves being such a great guy. And uh, yeah. I, I, I love this one because you know this is Keanu Reeves making a suggestion to the director and the studio. The character of the Italian tailor is played by the actual costume designer of the John <laughs> yeah. Wick films, Luca Mosca. I I would like to believe that the internet's boyfriend was like, why don't we just put him in the role? He does such a great job. <laughs> Everybody loves him. Let's just get him on screen. It's easy. But that is also absolutely true and in in sort of the public knowledge about Lawrence Fishburne. Like, is it? Yeah, because the director was like, gosh, I mean, I would love to get, like, uh, I don't know, like, it would be great for somebody like Lawrence Fishburne. And, he, and I imagine he's like, hang tight. Hey, fish. <laughs> and literally what happens is... Hey, fish. <laughs> well, that's what Lawrence Fishburne calls himself, fish. Um, so he's like, hey, fish. And then so he connects oh the director God. and Lawrence Fishburne, and Lawrence Fishburne says, I have this small part, and you would be more than perfect for it. And it's literally the cell phone text conversation where the director is like, here's the basic thing, and, and Lawrence Fishburne replies, I'm in, period. Is this real? I'm in. Yeah. Oh, my God, I yeah. thought you were no, making that No, real. I'm in, period, fish, period. That's, that's, that's how it started. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be fair, uh, Transfish, who brought up in the live stream, I'll put it so you guys, if you're listening, can hear. He says, 
Keanu Reeves is just a good guy. Remember when he was on Colbert on Colbert's show and he talked about death. What he said then, Colbert said, what do you think what happens when you die? Because it's a common knowledge that uh, Keanu Reeves is spiritual but atheistic mm-hmm. or sort of atheistic. Mm-hmm. And, and Colbert is a, is a Catholic. And so they were talking about that. And he thought about it for a while. And he said, I know those who love us will miss us. That was his answer. And, yeah, he's a oh terrific God. human being. Let's, uh, <laughs> All right, listen, gonna, hang on, go hang on, on. Wait, wait, wait. Listen, we've waited long enough. How have we not talked about the star of this movie? Oh. Burton the Bulldog. <laughs> hello? I mean, that's... Hello? So, he is played by a bulldog named Bubba, and I got to tell you, the first time I saw this movie, uh-huh. when Santino blows up the house, I'm like, son of a bitch, those <laughs> bastards killed another fucking dog. <laughs> but thankfully, while John Wick is laying there, it's... It's funny how this works. The dog comes up and licks his face, and we're all, yay. And then, you know, John Wick is looking at the only pictures and memorabilia he has of his dead wife burning. And my first thought was, well, they didn't kill the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I was good. But Bubba and Keanu were fast friends because Keanu wanted the scenes with the dog to feel realistic. He wanted them to have a relationship. So mm-hmm. he would feed the dog. Oh, no, he come would on. Walk the dog. Oh, my he God. Would hang out with the dog. I mean, listen, every Keanu, he's the internet's boyfriend for a reason. Oh, my and, God. And uh, Bubba, Bubba the bulldog is just as big a fan of his as we are. <laughs> and uh, there are actually paparazzi photos of John, well, Keanu Reeves, right, in a suit with like blood on his face. So they mm-hmm. figured it was a movie shoot and they figured it was probably even John Wick. But walking Burton. Walking not, the dog. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, in all the mo- in every shot with John Wick and Bubba, the characters, Bubba is never leashed. There's no oh, leash. That's right. But that's all right. the pictures, wow. the paparazzi pictures, is him walking around Manhattan with, with Burton Jesus. bonding Jesus. with the dog. He also, likewise, the director, uh, as we said, came from a stuntman background yep. and had been in dozens and dozens of movies as a stuntman, working with weapons, working with BJJ, working with Krav Maga, working mm-hmm. with all mm-hmm. that. And when he became a director, he said to Keanu, like, the, the, the worst part of watching movies for him as a viewer was that everybody's fine targeting with a weapon and nobody reloads well because mm-hmm. nobody does that you hand it back to your stunt coordinator and they do it for you and and Chad's insistent was insistence was that has to be if he's an if he's the best assassin in the world this has to look like everything else he, he does, does like, and we're going to show it all in widescreen we're not going to do a bunch <laughs> yeah. of cuts we're going to go widescreen and yeah. show the whole thing there's a there's is go to YouTube you guys and look up uh Keanu Reeves tactical and watch oh. him on an actual gun range he it's insane. not only put the time in he's very good at it like the the reason, I don't know if they cast him because of this, or he found out he's like, oh, I already have all those skills. I'll go do this. It's incredible, you know. Reload, tactical reloading, regular reloading, moving through a shooting range, one hand checks, everything, and every time. And I've taken uh, a, a, quite a few gun courses to make sure I know what the hell I'm talking about for my books, because I had fired at 22 up until the point I started writing these books. Right. I started dealing <laughs> with people who were like had dealt with weapons for a living. And everything, you know, the the ejecting the magazine, put magazine in, checking the breach, all every time. If you watch that long extended fight scene at the end, he does the fundamentals of handling a weapon 
every time he takes a new weapon away from somebody else over and over and over again, which is what people who survive in combat do. Mm-hmm. This is your lifeline. This thing in your hand is what will keep you alive. You have to do step one, two, three, four, and five if you're going to stay alive every single time. Uh, and the muscle memory that goes with just clear. practicing yeah. Yeah. over and over and over again. And yeah. it's rare to find people. I mean, I'm not saying that it's rare. And, like I'm not saying other other actors don't do the work, but it there are very few folks who, who make movies like this who everyone you talk to says, yes, they did all this work. They did every single bit of this work. And this it's one of those things. People bag on his acting ability, but I'm a huge fan of Brad Pitt because of his physical combat ability and his ability to make everything he does in a fight scene look like you are you if you go if you're gonna fight that guy, you are gonna get the shit kicked out of you because he knows what he is doing. Keanu Reeves is very similar. Peter Wilson from the old La Femme Nikita was another one. Like, you watch Peter Wilson fight on screen, you're like, she will knock you the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And that is, that factors into the whole emotional intelligence, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. numbers intelligence, math intelligence. Like, there are different areas of intelligence and Keanu Reeves, what he may lack in the emotion part of acting, when you watch him do the physical acting and everything, he's an absolute brilliant, natural, he is able to communicate that on the screen like few other people can. And I know we have to You know what else you'll notice? Sorry, Abe. Go ahead. um, Along those same lines, Scotty, he doesn't just fire the weapon in exactly the same way every time. Depending on the situation, depending on the surroundings, depending on how many people are around him, mm-hmm. he uses different stances, different poses, different ways. Sometimes it's the two hand, sometimes it's the one hand, mm-hmm. because that's what somebody who has been in every single situation would do. He would automatically know this is the best way I'm going to get this done the quickest and the most efficient. I would and say the, the, it's fantastic. the scariest thing I ever did in my firearms training was my instructor, who's fantastic at the Glock store in San Diego, <laughs> telling me, like, you shoot here, you shoot here, shoot here, and then you know there's a target behind you, so you're going to point before you look and, like, and look back and, like, firing almost blind behind you <laughs> with another human being in the room. Still, I have trouble even speaking the words. <laughs> I was so upset. I'm like, dude, are you sure? He's like, I got you. I'm standing over here. And Keanu Reeves, as you say, working in all the different stances, the different firing positions, he mm-hmm. makes it look completely flawless and natural. And although I love this movie and I love both of you, uh, we are almost out of time. So I want, I know, Robbie, you are going to give us a death count when we're done. But I want to bring up one more point And then if you have anything else to say mm-hmm. and then and then we'll give it to Robbie to sign off. Um, I will say that the the idea of this as a either a video game or a set piece uh, or a an allegorical set piece that is not quite New York. It's maybe Gotham. Who knows that mm-hmm. sort of thing is uh, the final scene of the movie where Reeves squares off with fighter of equal caliber involved in the action choreography. It is in perfect sync with Vivaldi's Four, Vivaldi's four Seasons. So, that, was that playing at the time? Or? Yeah. So, okay. the, so the idea was simple and innovative. The team removed all the percussives from the background score and replaced those with gunshots. No way. Yeah. So That's the outcome, incredible. And, and we can still watch it. Like we're, We still have it rented if you want to yeah, go back. I, I figured you would shit. want to. Yeah. So the outcome was utter perfection and an incredible rehash of a masterpiece worthy of Vivaldi's attention. And I think that's enormous. It's such a folding wow. in of reality and fiction in a brand new way that I think John, the John Wick series does so well. Uh, Rob, you want to tell us who died? Yeah. I mean, so here we go. I mean, I'm sure. Have you guys ever heard of like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees? <laughs> yes, I have, Rob. Kruger, right? Yep. Amateurs. <laughs> All right. John Wick, in the course of the first three movies, has killed 
299 people. Wow. All right. So the, the, the first one he kills in John Wick 4 will be number 300. There should be like fireworks. Uh, there should something. be something. Should I hope be, it's spectacular. I, it, it really should be. That's so, a lot of people. And, Yes, and John Wick Chapter 2 is by far uh, his most impressive performance. 128 people oh my God. in this movie. And you think back and you're like, yeah, there's huge amounts of people. You know, when he's in Rome and he's in the catacombs and yeah, everywhere he's at, he's killing dozens of people. Fantastic. Yeah, so he is up to 299 and counting. <laughs> he only killed 77 in the first John Wick movie. Bush League. Shh. Bush I mean, League. honestly, what, what's even worth <laughs> noting of that, right? And, and in number three, he dropped back down to 94. I'm just like, John, buddy, this better not be a trend. Yeah, we want, we want the numbers up, year. not down. Listen, not yeah, down. listen yeah, Booboo, you're going to be an unrestricted free agent next year, and your numbers were down. we got to bring them That's up. Right. We're going to have you the big contract. Listen, I will Johnny, tell you guys. it's a contract year. Okay. <laughs> So we really got to get those numbers up. Before we let Robbie go, I will tell you guys one more thing. I happen to know through my first husband, who I'm still friendly with, he's a good friend of a stunt man. Mm-hmm. And that particular stunt man has been in all the John Wick movies. He is he's this giant. His name is Dimitri. He's giant. He's blonde haired. He's blue eyed. He doesn't look terribly Russian in this regard. Mm-hmm. But he has been killed by John Wick 43 times. Wow! On screen well 43 times. So this is Can an interesting thing. Can we get that thing. guy on the show? That'd be incredible. <laughs> uh, he has uh, been, he keeps count, of course, because he keeps coming back for the John Wick movies, right? But 43 times. He has not been the same character 43 times. So if you think about it that way, the group wow. of people who get killed by John Wick is probably like 10 dudes. You know what? 10 we've or 12 dudes. Put the, <laughs> we've got to put the bug in his ear. Mm. He deserves to be number 300. Oh, he does. Yes. He does. Just saying, let him know. Yeah. Tell the ex that, okay? Yeah, and it's such an interesting, cool thing because you're like, I, well, of course I would never notice that, right? They put a different wig on him, they change his clothes, he's on screen for four seconds, and you never quite get their face because you get the, you know, you look at their weapon True. first or you look at the, sure. or they get from the back. Or so they're just, they're all in shadow. It, uh, but or that is shocking. Or, yeah. yeah. To have been killed for, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, that is, that goes back to the John Leganzamo issue. That is economic, budget conscious filmmaking. Yep. We've got you for five days. You're going to get killed three times on Monday, yep. four times on <laughs> Tuesday. And they just walk you through and like, they just set up all these shots. You come in, do your job. That's, that brings down the budget and yep. increases the blood count. And I it, promise it, I'll only shoot you in the kneecaps on Wednesday. <laughs> and the other thing is, you have people you can count on. We at Empty Set are such a, much, such a small business. If we have, as you guys know, you know Robbie, you know John Vizcara, you know um, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Rickyberg. Like, the people that we work with consistently are people that we know we can count on and how they work, and that's super beneficial kind of thing. Yes. So yes, before sir. we let Robbie, Robbie go, we do we are changing the format of stories Oh, that's now. right. That's right. Uh, do you want to bring up this camera for me? Yes, ma'am. Um, so we've talked a little bit about this. We are going to move to once a month after this show. So starting now, we're going to move to the second Saturday of every month, the first Saturday of every month is a uh, 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 Sigler Junkies Happy Hour hosted by Steve Rickyberg. Yep. Number two, second Saturday uh, is going to now be Story Smack. You know how you remember? No. It's the four. It's the six S's. Second Saturday Story Smack Scott Sigler. It's the six S's. It's incredible. Oh, well, that so sounds well easy. And I was thinking that when people think of number two, they should think of the movie <laughs> Maven Rob Otto. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you guys, we will be back for Story Smack on the second Saturday of June. That is June 12th. The next Story Smack is June 12th. We will be discussing the 1986 classic movie, Top Gun. Rob, why are we Woo! talking about Top Gun? What? Why are we talking about Top Gun? Do you remember why I picked that uh, one? Because we love homoerotic volleyball. <laughs> I mean, of who course, doesn't? Who doesn't? Also, because the a few weeks after that comes out, Maverick is coming out. The long-awaited <laughs> sequel mm-hmm. of Top Gun starring Tom Cruise, Maverick. So we're going to talk about the original, and then we're going to get into uh, get you all geared up and geeked up for the sequel. All right. That sounds good to me. And I can't homoerotic wait. volleyball. There better be some goddamn naked volleyball in this. That's all I can say. Uh, I can't wait. Oh, let's see. That's my cue, isn't yeah, it? There we it's... go. Uh, okay, Rob, thank you for being on. You brought so much, so much swollen knowledge into this one that it's just it's it's friggin' fabulous. The body count, knowing there's 299, I will be on the edge of my seat. Although I have to wait a whole year for it for John Wick mm-hmm. to see who's going to be number 300 and will they be paying attention to it? You have to think they will. Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> Good to see you, Rob. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. See y'all in a month. See you see soon. in a month. All right, go back to. Uh, Where are we? There we are. That's us. Hello, everybody. And we are running a little bit long, so that does it for us. This was episode 71 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online at facebook.com slash StorySmack. We live stream StorySmack every second Saturday. Every second Saturday, StorySmack with Scott Sigler. Six, let's go with four. Second Saturday, StorySmack. You can see us. You watch live. If you're listening to this at home, watch live at facebook.com slash scottsigler, twitch.tv slash scottsigler, and youtube.com slash scottsigler. And in addition to Stories Mac, if you're listening to this or if you're watching this live, we also do a once-weekly live stream called Sigler in Place. It is Wednesdays at 6 p.m. right here where you're watching this. Like Scott said, that's facebook.com slash scottsigler, twitch.tv slash scottsigler, and youtube.com slash scottsigler. And that's 6 p.m. Pacific time, which would be 9 p.m. Eastern time? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what it would be. Uh, And we release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel of mine every week. You can get episodes for free, unabridged, awesome, girthy, swollen, and fantastic via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe and get it. We do so hope you subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smacks goodness in the future. And until the next episode, until we get back with Maverick, well, we can't get back with Goose. Goose is no longer with us. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully Iceman will be Maybe back. Maybe there's like a dream sequence. Oh, a dream oh. sequence with Goose. A homoerotic <laughs> volleyball dream sequence with Goose and Iceman. There's a little part oh where, where Goose pulls down his, his aviators a little. And <laughs> gives looks you that, the Maverick. Gives you those bedroom eyes. <laughs> Until we get to our next homoerotic volleyball scene involving the U.S. servicemen, we will talk to you all real soon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.